Good morning, church. Both to you here in the sanctuary and uh, those of you watching online. I see um, some faces today that I haven't seen since last March. So welcome back. So we just uh, need a few more people to get their vaccines and it'll start to look like normal again in here, won't it? Well, uh, tomorrow is a huge milestone for our executive pastor, uh, Pastor Mark. Uh, he is finally reaching adulthood at the age of 60. And so I think I'd like to sing happy birthday to him. Will you join us? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Pastor Mark. Happy birthday to you. Woo! <laughs> Our reading today is um, from Psalm 137. Uh, you can follow up on the screen behind us. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. For there, our captors asked for us songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried, tear it down to its foundations. Daughter Babylon, doomed to destruction. Happy is the one who repays you according to what you have done to us. Happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Well, raise your hand if this is your all-time favorite psalm. Anybody at all? Every night before you go to bed, you open up your Bible to Psalm 137 and have a, a nice, comforting word from Scripture. Well, we are preaching through uh, the Psalms this Lent to learn ways that we can talk to God. And our psalm today is known as an imprecatory psalm. We don't know who wrote it. But it was not written by David, for clearly it was written uh, either during or after the fall of Jerusalem by the Chaldean Empire, which took place between 597 and 586 B.C. And it begins as a psalm of lament. Jerusalem has been sacked and burned to the ground. The temple has been destroyed. Judah has ceased to exist as a nation and as the practice of the time, thousands were forced to relocate to the city of Babylon, which was the capital of the Chaldean Empire. It is known in Jewish history as the exile, and it was a time of despair and hopelessness for its people. 
It also caused a huge crisis of faith for the Jewish people because they had believed that they were the chosen ones and that God had placed them in the promised land for a purpose and that God himself would protect them from their enemies. Why? Why had God allowed this to happen? Why would God allow a pagan nation to destroy the people of God? And as they sit and weep for their loss, their captors torment them by demanding they sing their, their happy songs from back home, but they won't do it. They can't do it. They can't sing those songs in a foreign land. In fact, the psalmist calls down a curse upon himself if he ever forgets his homeland. And then he asks God to remember how the Edomites cheered when Jerusalem fell. The, the Edomites were a, a nearby nation, and while Israel traced its beginnings back to Jacob and his 12 sons, Edom traced its founder to Jacob's twin brother, Esau. So they shared a common ancestry. They shared a common heritage. They, they should have been helping Israel. Instead, they are gloating over their defeat. And then it gets really uncomfortable. The psalmist says, happy is the one who repays Babylon for what they have done. Happy is the one who dashes your infants against the rocks. God's people calling for the murder of babies. And the psalm strikes us as horribly cruel and wicked. And yet had not the prophet Isaiah foreseen this. In chapter 14, Isaiah prophesies the end of Babylon and the return of Israel to their homes. He says, prepare a place to slaughter Babylon's children for the sins of their ancestors. They are not to rise to inherit the land and cover the earth with their cities. So the psalmist is not so much calling for the killing of babies as he is calling for the end of this empire. And just a few years uh, later in 539 B.C., that's exactly what happens. The Persian king Cyrus invades Babylon and defeats them. And that is the end of this short-lived empire. And just as Isaiah had predicted, the people of Judah began to return home. And yet still, this psalm is full of revenge. It is full of hatred and wrath. And we find the author is expressing deep anger at the injustice. He is giving voice to the hatred of, of the people who have done this to his nation. And what we've been observing throughout this series at the psalms provide the people of God a way to express these deep emotions and feelings, that they are not to be a runaway from. You see, the psalmist had courage to, pay, to pray his hatred. And so no emotion seems to be taboo to talk to God about. Great harm had been done to his people. It was only natural that he would feel this way. You see, a lot of us Christians, we think we have to avoid those raw emotions, that, those anger uh, and hatred. After all, it is one of the deadly sins, is it not? But it's different than the other six. I mean, the other sins, the other uh, six sins, well, we can hide lust and envy and greed. But when we're angry, everybody knows, don't they? <laughs> the clenched fist, the raised voice, the, 
the scowl on the face. It, it, it's the most obvious of all the sins. And it's the most hurtful. It not only hurts others, but it eventually hurts us as well. And strangely enough, we also learn that anger is not always bad. I mean, none of the other deadly sins would ever be described as good, and we would never ascribe any of them to the nature of God except anger. I mean, the Bible says over and over again that God is is slow to anger, but there are times when God gets there, when God gets angry. Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry in the temple with the money changers. He called it a den of thieves, and then he acted upon his anger and drove them out. So perhaps there is a way to, to be good and mad. When we get angry about things like injustice and racism and bad behavior and the murder of eight women, it can be a virtue. Because anger tells us that something is not right. Anger tells us that something is is wrong when things don't work the way they're supposed to. I mean, you know all those daily irritations of life when our flight gets delayed, when when a co-worker doesn't pull their weight, when our kids disobey, when a friend betrays us. These are legitimate things to be angry about. Something's wrong. Anger comes from our sense of right and wrong. That's why the psalmist is so full of, of anger and wrath. Now, the thing is that sometimes our sense of justice gets skewed by our feelings of what's right and wrong. We get mad because we think that we should have gotten the promotion or at work or because our spouse wasn't as attentive as we thought they should have been or because we had to wait 20 minutes to get our donuts at Dunkin' Donut last Friday. And sometimes we're mad, but a lot of times it's because something is wrong with us. And so the Apostle Paul addresses this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4. He says, be angry, but don't sin. So anger in of itself is not necessarily a sin. Anger is a natural human emotion. Sometimes it's a good thing. But Paul warns us here that be careful what lies behind your anger because it can lead to something else. Paul reminds us that anger is not sinful. It becomes sinful when it becomes hurtful, when it's misdirected. So for the problem for a lot of us is not the anger. The problem for a lot of us is what lies behind it. And we have a great example in Genesis 4. It's the first recorded example uh, of anger. And you know the story. Cain is the son of Adam and Eve and the brother of Abel. And something happened that Cain didn't like and he got mad. I mean, the human race is just beginning, and there's already this hostility, there's this anger, and and where is it located? It's located in the family. Why is that? That the people we get the maddest at are the ones that we're closest to, family and friends. Maybe it's because we've spent a lot of time with them this past year, more than maybe we should have, but probably because we, we care so much truth is, family can bring out the best in us, and it can bring out the worst. So I don't know exactly why Cain was angry, but it has something to do with religion, <laughs> his offering to God. As far as we can tell, Abel hasn't done anything wrong, but, but Cain seems angry. He seems to be angry at God. Instead of directing his anger at the proper person, at God, he directs it to his brother, and he says to, he says to Abel, hey, let's go out in the field. But it's a trick. 
And when they are out there, far from any witnesses, the Bible says that Cain kills his brother. And so anger turns to hatred, and hatred turns to violence, and violence turns to murder. But God sees it, and he says, where's your brother? And Cain replies with his famous line, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And God pronounces judgment. And so rather than his anger solving the problem, it has made it worse. And Cain is driven out from his community. See, I think a lot of unhealthy anger is really just about control. If I yell loud enough, if I speak harshly, if I sulk long enough, if I strike hard enough, I can fix things. I can make others do what I want them to do. Anger gives us the illusion of control, and the irony is that when we do that, we end up losing control rather than gaining control, and we make things worse instead of making them better. And so anger becomes sin because it opens the door to a greater evil in our life. Again, Paul says in Ephesians 4, uh, do not, in your anger do not sin, but then he says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. And so anger in of itself is not sinful, but it can. It can give the devil entranceway into our lives. And when that door is cracked open, there's no telling what will follow anger in. In fact, Paul tells us, he says, resentment, bitterness, malignant grudges, hostility may come in the door with anger. Proverbs 14 says an angry person does foolish things. <laughs> yeah. Proverbs 29, a hot-tempered person commits many sins. Well, back to our story of Cain and Abel. They both brought an offering to the Lord. God accepted Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's because of his attitude. God said, Cain, if, if you'll change your attitude, I'll, I'll accept your gift. But Cain gets very angry, and so God said, Cain... Look out, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. But Cain doesn't. He doesn't guard himself. He doesn't guard his heart against the effects of the anger. And he kills his brother. Satan, evil, had gained a foothold into his life. And so anger becomes sin when it's expressed in words that destroy others. In verse 29, Paul says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Man, I don't know about you, but it's dangerous for me to open my mouth when I'm angry. <laughs> when I was a young man, I used to let it all out. But I've learned that if I wait until my anger subsides, before opening my mouth, it, it's a good thing. It's critical we learn how to guard our words carefully. A well-controlled mouth can neutralize anger. Again, Proverbs 15 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. And so while the other sins have to be overcome, anger has to be managed. 
We don't talk about managing our pride, do we? We don't talk about managing idolatry. We don't talk about managing our gluttony. We, we want to get rid of those things. But according to Jesus and according to, to Paul, we have to learn to express our anger in a godly way. Otherwise, it becomes dangerous to our, to our souls. It becomes a hindrance to our spirits. So how do we do that? How do we manage it? I think it begins as the psalmist begins, by admitting it. We speak it, we name it, so that it comes to light. The psalmist says, remember, Lord, what the Edomites did. Lord, don't forget the injustice of this. And we can do that too. We can pray that. Lord, I'm, I, I'm so mad right now. I'm so mad at him. I'm so mad at, at her. God, I'm so mad at you. I'm, I'm mad at this world that you've created. God, I'm, I'm mad at myself. I'm talking to God exactly how I'm feeling. How mad are you? How hurt are you? How helpless do you feel? Talk to God about your anger in your prayer time. I mean, we find these in the Bible. We find Moses. We find Elijah. We find Jeremiah expressing intense anger towards God. They, they let God have it from time to time. They express their frustration with God, with God's people, with God's world. Listen to David in Psalm 10. He, he prays that God will get involved in bringing the wicked to justice. He says, why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in the times of trouble? See, David's not happy the way things are. He's trying to remind God that it's his job to protect the helpless, that it's his job to protect the weak. He says, the victims commit themselves to you. They, you are the helper of the fatherless. God, these people look to you and you're not doing anything. And then the next verse, listen to how he prays. He says, break the arm of the wicked man and call the evildoer to account. He, he wants justice so bad that he wants God to break a few arms. <laughs> you, you ever prayed that way? God, Break Mark's arm. God, break Danny's arm. Don't break their arms, but... <laughs> no, I've never prayed that way either. Been tempted probably a few times. But David wasn't afraid. And God let him pray that way. I'm pretty sure God didn't answer that prayer, but I know he heard it. And he helped David get to a better place. You see, when we, when we tell God about our intense emotions, when we, when we pray our anger, God helps us to release it. Again, back to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And so, so Paul is telling us, we can get rid of these things. We can be free from these. Now, a lot of us will say, you know, that, it's not that simple. Anger is far too complex. We just can't get rid of it. But Dr. Les Carter, in his book entitled Good and Angry, he says, anyone who lives a life of anger is choosing to do so. So we can choose not to. Rather than wanting to get revenge on someone who's done evil to you, we can choose to, to counter it with, with a positive action. Jesus says, love your enemies. Practice being kind. Be compassionate. He teaches us that the answer to hatred is love, that the answer to evil is to do good. But we need to let it go. It's 
Stop making a list of all those people that have hurt you. Let it go. Stop making a list of those people that you're angry with. Learn to deal with it in a, in a positive way. Tell it to God and share it with those who are willing to listen to your pain and to your hurt. And then offer forgiveness to those who have caused it. Let God fill you up with himself. It works. It does. Because you see, if we don't, the danger is that anger will attach itself to your soul and it will suck the life out of you. I have to be constantly on guard against that. Yeah, there's been a few times in my life when I've expressed righteous anger and needed to be expressed, it needed to be said, but most of the time, it's the wrong kind of anger. And that's when I find out really what's inside of me. And so if I'm squeezed and if I'm mistreated and, and, and kindness and compassion comes out, then I know I'm making progress. But, but if I'm squeezed and, and instead anger and, and hostility and, and bad words come out, then you know what? I, I know God's got some more work to do in me. God wants to replace that anger in you with, with himself. And he will help you get to the root problem. He will give you confidence. He will give you security so that when you are squeezed by life and you will be and things don't go your way, you'll be more resistant to the sin that comes out of anger. You see, it's all about the second half of the gospel. We've been talking about that this year. You see, Jesus has a plan to transform each and every one of us here into the very image of Christ. God wants to make you and me a loving and holy people. And the irritations that come our way on a daily basis are opportunities for you and I to deal with our anger in the right way. I mean, hardly a day goes by that I don't have the temptation to get angry. But every time that I choose to respond in the right way, it brings me just a little bit closer to Jesus. This is so important. And Jesus tells us to confront it head on. He talks about the importance of, uh, of resolving your anger. In Matthew's gospel, he says this, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. So what Jesus is saying here is that when you've allowed your, your anger to hurt someone, take care of it now. Don't run from a conflict. Deal with it today. Don't wait, he says. Be reconciled. I mean, there are times that, that I've been tempted to hang on to my anger. You ever done that? Sometimes holding on to that anger feels kind of good, you know? Kind of stew over a little bit. Think of all the ways that you're going to get revenge on them, things that you're going to say. Jesus says, don't do that. He says, seek out those people who have offended you. Go for it. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It is a choice, and it's a choice that we as Christ followers need to make pretty much every single day of our lives. Jesus says, take care of it today. This is great advice for married couples. Ever had a fight with your spouse, and it's bedtime, and you're still stewing about it, and you're trying to go to sleep, and you can't? because you're rehearsing that argument over 
and over again and you know that you were right and you know they were wrong and why won't they just admit it? Not a good idea to go to bed angry with each, uh, with each other because we go to bed angry and we wake up angrier <laughs> because your anger becomes a settled disposition and you can bear. You're going to be stewing about it through your shower and through your breakfast and throughout the day you're going to be short with people and then you're going to come home at night and it's not going to be good. You'll pretend it never happened or you'll try to punish them by giving everybody the silent treatment and everybody will walk around you on eggshells. So we simply try to avoid each other and we go into our own separate little spaces, our, our workshop, the basement or out in the garage and we go into this deep freeze and before we know it, we've moved from simply being an angry couple to being angry, to being an angry person. That's why Jesus says, take care of it now. Before you do anything else, go take care of it. Don't even bother with offering your sacrifice to God. Drop what you're doing. Take care of it today. We take responsibility. We acknowledge that we've hurt their feelings. We ask for forgiveness. And then once you've cooled down, then you can try to resolve the issue that started the argument in the first place. South Africa had been plagued for generations by terrible violence between the white ruling minority and the black majority. And once the whites relinquished power, the question in need of an answer was clear. How does a nation, how does a country with so much pain, with so much violence and division in its past move forward into the future? And so in 1995, Bishop Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela established what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It was a way to try to deal with the past and move forward. And the goal was this. It was for those who had committed atrocities in the past to come forward and to tell the truth. But it didn't end there. After confessing the truth, the goal was to bring reconciliation and forgiveness, to break the cycle of hate so the entire country could begin to move forward together. Well, there were two people who came before the commission, Mrs. Kalata and her daughter. Mrs. Kalata's husband had been an advocate for black South Africans in rural communities, and because of his work, he had been arrested, detained, and tortured uh, numerous times. But one day, he just disappeared, and they later found his body horribly beaten and set on fire in his car. And they came before the commission to plead that they would help them discover who had killed their father and husband. But here's the amazing thing. They didn't want to know who they were because they wanted justice or vengeance. Instead, she said this to the commission. We are Christians. We want to forgive them. We just don't know who to forgive. That's amazing. How is it even possible how do we go about finding compassion for our enemies and leaving the vengeance to God? Like the psalmist, we acknowledge it and we pray it. 
Anger and hatred and injustice needs to be acknowledged and dealt with, especially within ourselves. And then we leave vengeance to God because he alone can judge rightly. Our job is to break the cycle of hate, forgiving others as God in Christ has forgiven us. And in that, we as a people of God will find healing and restoration. Amen. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for this psalm. A psalm that's so full of hate and violence that none of us would ever claim it as our favorite psalm. And yet, God, the lesson it teaches us is so important that we can pray anything to you and that you hear us and that you want to set us free from our raw emotions. That you want us to become whole people. And so we pray for that. Come Holy Spirit right now in the name of Jesus into each and every heart that is here. And begin that process of transformation. Help us God not to run from our conflict but to run towards it. To learn how to forgive. To bring reconciliation and restoration. God, hear this, our prayer. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.